It must have been God. God must have been in London that day because it looked like that ball was not going to go and it just curves left somehow and just falls right inside the upright. I couldn't believe my eyes. Hello and welcome to The Drunken Jaguar. This is Bentley and joining me via call is Ased. We have to apologize first and foremost that we did not record faster. We were trying to arrange a a way to record in person, uh, but our schedules did not allow. And uh, why in person this time? Because we got something to celebrate the Jaguars winning in dramatic fashion 23 to 20 in London over the ailing Miami Dolphins. I said, mountain time. You got up super early. What was it like watching this game? Describe to me your emotional state at 9 in the morning a couple Sundays ago. Boy, at 9 a.m., I was kind of freaking out, man, a little bit. I'm going to be honest. I had drank a little bit the night before. I woke up kind of feeling like crap. You know, it's 6.45 a.m., something like that, and I go lay down on the couch, and by... 8.30, I am ripping Tito shots, man. I was just so nervous. It's just a game. I really wanted the Jaguars to win, and they came through huge. I I honestly couldn't believe it. I was screaming. I let out a couple tears out of excitement, of course. What a game, man. Just amazing to finally get the first win. We talked earlier about how this was a quote-unquote crazy game. You know, A lot of ups and downs and... For the majority of the game, you don't really think we're going to win. But the reason that doesn't really concern me or like take away anything from this victory is we've kind of felt that with now like three or four games now that that we also saw a possibility of winning and it, and it didn't happen because of the way that the cookie crumbled. So to see the Jaguars come up with this win in the end just feels redeeming. Yeah, definitely, man. And you could see it in the player. Did you see Josh Allen and James Robinson and Urban just smiles everywhere? You could you could feel the energy through the TV screen. You really could. You could feel what getting a one win, one win. What was it? It was almost 400 days, man, it's been. So I know it felt good for the players, especially the guys who have been out there last season, especially. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, Urban Meyer God, and this guy is fun, he's funny to watch. I mean, the mannerisms and like the nervous ticks and stroking his hair and you know wipe, wiping imaginary off his face. Uh, the the classic bend down and stare at the grass move, right? And when and when they pull off the win, it's equally as entertaining. The guy's just running around with glee in his eyes, and his hands are still going through all the the motions, all the overacting, you know, the brushing the hair back for no reason and stuff. Very very interesting. And I I don't know if he's aware of this man, but it I feel like every time Urban Meyer is being called upon to make a, a kind of a make or break coaching decision in the games he's milking it. I mean, it's as if he knows the camera's on him. Everything from throwing a challenge flag to calling a timeout, the guy's milking it to the last second. It reminds me of even the, the Dolphins kick attempt that they missed that that uh, it, even the announcers were talking about how Urban was going to call a timeout to ice him, and he never does. And the guy missed the kick. It was God. I mean, it's amazing. 
Yeah, and then and then finally with the the slider play that the essentially was the it was it was one of many game winning plays I guess in, in this game, but the the pass to Lavisca Chenault to gain extra yardage for Wright to come in and kick that game winning field goal. You know, it's like oh we rehearse this play. It's one we practice. It's called the slider. It's called the fucking, you know slider with cheese or whatever. Bullshit, man. The clock almost ran out, and I I know Urban says that he was talking to the referee before the play even happened to call a timeout the second that the ball's down, but that was way too narrow of a window. I mean, we were in control of the ball. We could have run the clock down less before that play even happened. So I I, I do like that it was executed beautifully, but I, I don't know if I'm on the side of like, wow, what a stroke of brilliance because it almost cost us the game. Yeah, definitely. I'm not going to lie to you, though. When I was watching the game, not going to take too much credit, but that was the first thing I thought. I was like, okay, they're all saying Hail Mary. It is a third. It was, was it third down or fourth down? It might have even been fourth down. No, it was fourth oh, down. We got the first down. Yeah. Wow. So the, the concern there was, you know, you can't pick up five yards on a quick slant and call that timeout because you had to pick up the first down. And that's what Miami was thinking. They had all their guys so far back. So I was thinking, yeah, quick pass and you just give yourself up. And if, as a receiver, LaVisca did the right thing, giving himself up correctly. So right when he catches the ball and goes down, you can call that timeout. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, you have plenty of time to do this. I think that was probably the best move he has made as a coach so far in his NFL career. And we saw him make, you know, a questionable decision earlier in that game. So that one really made up for it. I think it was huge. Yep. Impressive stuff. Let's take a commercial break quickly here, and we will be right back to dive into this game as well as our upcoming game against the Seattle Seahawks. All right, man. Yeah. So overall, great feeling. Uh, You know, everybody's talking about winning, healing all and John Madden talking about winning being a great deodorant. And it, it really feels that way so much so that we go into the bye week. I mean, imagine these guys having played their hearts out yet again. Boarding, I mean, what is it? I don't know if they, or is it a private plane, I guess? So what, like a nine-hour, eight-and-a-half, nine-hour flight back to Jacksonville or something with a feeling of a win? I mean, how relaxing is that compared to a long-haul flight knowing you lost another one and you haven't won in over a year? It's It's got to feel amazing. And and so amazing that it, it can't help but build some confidence. I mean, if we look back at, like, especially the Bengals game, as well as a handful of others that we we actually saw a path to victory. And you kind of wonder, yikes, we're, we were almost, we're one and five now. We're almost two and four. We, we could have been three and three. And then you watch the Seattle Seahawks drop it on Monday Night Football and Russell Wilson's out and you're like, damn, do we have a shot at winning you know, a few in the next four or five games in this current quarter as they say <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i would think we have a chance at seattle for sure talking about seattle's defense it's been one of the worst in the league man for the last two years their pass defense is just really really bad and their offensive line can't protect the quarterback and you know russell wilson has the ability to get out of there and make some improv plays but geno smith is not going to be able to do that i think the jaguars have a great chance i know it's tough flying uh, west as an East Coast team and playing a road game there. But 
I think this is a winnable game for the Jaguars. And I believe last time we played Seattle, it was in Jacksonville, but we did beat them with Russell Wilson on the field. And that was our uh, famous 2017 season. Yeah. Well, that's when a lot of things went our way uh, a lot more than they, they have this year. And, and when we had, you know, the, the boat himself was, was on the field. Uh, interesting with the Seahawks, if you don't mind sticking on the topic just for a bit here, Geno Smith is out there in place of, of Russell Wilson. I am fascinated at quarterbacks' careers, I can tell you that much, right? And people that don't stick as a starter somewhere, being able to stick around the league is always a very impressive thing, right? And I think you were talking about how some of it's his ability to uh, learn new offenses and to memorize the playbook and to execute sort of game manage. I find very interesting. And it's also interesting how people like Blake Bortles are not in the league at the moment, right? And Gar- Gardner Minshew's out, out there with the, the Eagles, not always even suiting up. Well, and since you brought it up, Gardner Minshew should be playing football because Jalen Hurts does not look good for the Eagles. I mean, you traded for him for a reason. Let the guy take a few snaps, man, especially if your season's just crumbling. <laughs> yeah, so how do, how do we look versus Smith on Sunday? I think we look good, man. I think the pass rush, another opportunity, I said this against the Titans, to really get home and get some pressure on the quarterback. I mean, we saw the Saints put an insane amount of pressure on him, especially late in the game and passing situations. Seattle's been a running team for the last five, six, you know, those Super Bowl runs. They've always been a running team with Marshawn Lynch. And when he left, they still stuck to the run. That's just what Pete Carroll does. I know it's frustrated Seahawks fans because they don't really put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands when it matters. That's been kind of their downfall. But if they can't get the run going, man, and we can just pin our ears back and rush the quarterback, this should be a, a pretty good game for the pass rushers, for Chase on, for Josh Allen. The back end, it might be a little tougher, but you do have a backup quarterback in there. He's going to need some time to throw these balls. It's going to be hard to guard DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I would say just try to avoid giving up the huge plays, the long plays. This is a very winnable game, especially I love our offense our offense's chances against their defense, who really struggles in pass coverage. Okay. So now let's flip it back to the Dolphins game here and, and kind of looking at big picture. Uh, one of the narratives I've heard coming out of this last week is that the Dolphins experiment, which was a full rebuild, very much in the style uh, the Jaguars have taken with a new coach. I think they even had a new owner at the time. Uh, they drafted Tua. I mean, Tank for Tua was the tank before Trevor, right? In the last... T for T, right? <laughs> so that hasn't turned out to be too good. And uh, even uh, Brian Flores is kind of like already on a hot seat here. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit in shock, man. I've had major like Dolphins envy for the past couple years. And to see them have so much draft capital, they've had at, at least as many first round picks as we have. And to basically we're at the same place, both one and five right now you know, duking it out, but we come out with the win in in a shorter amount of time. I, I can't help but be encouraged. Am I just being irrational? Um, you can be encouraged, but maybe not too much. Let's remember the Dolphins were missing their two top corners, who I believe are the best cornerback duo in the NFL, and Xavier Howard and uh, Byron Jones, former Cowboy for you. And then they were also missing Devontae Parker, the receiver, who is really their number one. Will Fuller hasn't been playing all season. They were playing with some, you know, makeshift. They just plugged some pieces in that receiver, man. And like that Mac Hollins guy, 
We saw Mike Gusecki, who's actually a legit NFL tight end, one of the better ones in the league, actually, we've seen. But, yeah, they were shorthanded, man. And Tua, oh, man, did they make the wrong decision with Tua. They picked Tua over Justin Herbert. That's going to bite them in the butt. But let's be honest, Tua played a really, really solid game against the Jaguars. He played a good game against Atlanta, too. The stats were great, but when it comes to being a good quarterback – there's a couple moments that'll stick out in your game, right? A few bad moments that he had. One I remember was that third and two where he's rolling out. Do you remember this early in the game? He's rolling to the mm-hmm. left. He could easily run for the first down. And he just throws the ball into no man's land. That was just a boneheaded move. And then the second one was the interception. It kind of changed the game. You know, it changed the momentum a little bit. I know the Jaguars turned it over on downs anyways, but those bad moments really stuck out, which makes me feel better about Trevor because we didn't see those moments really. Yeah, he got sack fumbled. Wasn't completely his fault. Jawan Taylor uh, pretty much gave up on the play there. But that's what I'm talking about, man. You can make as many good plays as you want as a quarterback, and this goes for Trevor too, but it's the bad plays that are going to stick out to fans and to the media and to the analysts. Okay, so Trevor's play has been steadily improving the whole season. Since the Thursday night game, I haven't really heard much criticism of Trevor around the league at all. Before that, people were still pretty desperate to try to find things to nitpick on and try to argue that Zach Wilson is a better quarterback or that Mac Jones is going to be uh, have, a, have a better future in the NFL. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that was that was floating around. We feel very confident in Trevor, but you know the 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 National Football League is also feeling more confident in Trevor week after week. That said, still hearing this criticism of you know we're not running James Robinson as much as we should. How do you reflect on the run pass balance thus far, and what should we do going forward? I think it was fine in the Miami game. Yes, he could have had it a, a little more, but this is what happens when you're not a very good team and you fall behind in games over and over again, you have to resort to the pass. You can't catch up running the ball. I know you don't want to abandon the run game all the way, but you also just can't run, 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 run when you're losing football games. You just can't do it. But I think urban got the message from everybody on that horrible call that I did not like one bit where we turn it over on downs when we could take the field goal in Miami territory right after that interception and he gives James Robinson the ball. I think that spoke spoke volumes, really, to what has been going on, all the chatter around Jacksonville and not running the ball and just letting James Robinson have the ball and short, short yardage distance, right? Because the guy rarely loses yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that being kind of a maybe a reactionary call right there. In terms of passing, uh, Trevor completed 25 passes for 319 yards, and, and a touchdown, that touchdown was, of course, a, a beautiful uh, jump and grab by Marvin Jones, who was essentially being double covered in the corner of the end zone. So Marvin Jones had seven catches for 100 yards. Other than that, the ball was spread around fairly evenly. You know, the Jaguars are digging pretty deep right now with, with the absence of DJ Chark. I, I didn't know if it was like week three of the preseason again with Laquan Treadwell running around and Taven Austin <laughs> out there on the field. But Jamal Agnew is next in line on the stat sheet here with 78 yards, five catches. LaVisca caught six for 54 yards. You know, James Robinson, Dan Arnold, uh, Luke Farrell, Chris Manhurts also catching balls. But, man, Jamal Agnew. God, and he's not just, like, 
I mean, you know, you asked me earlier in the season, hey, do we do we use him as a receiving weapon or not? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. You got to keep him healthy as a returner and all this stuff. Because, I mean, you know, to my credit, right, like I'd only seen him maybe get the ball dumped to him once on like a check down or something. But he's running some legit routes. This guy's like jumping up and grabbing balls between secondary. God. This might be a confidence thing, Bentley, because this guy, you know, you take a couple kicks back, you catch a couple balls, and then you just start feeling good about yourself. Like you can do anything. And this guy has been probably the biggest surprise, right, on the offense. Like we knew Trevor was going to be okay. And Chenault, we haven't seen enough of really. And Marvin Jones, we need, we know who he, who he is and James Robinson. We did not see Jamal Agnew coming in being a receiver, a legitimate one. Probably, I mean, is this guy the number two on this team? Not like in talent, but is he the number two of who Trevor's looking for? Because it seems like Trevor has a lot of trust in him. We've seen him kind of like stick some risky balls to Jamal Agnew and Jamal Agnew's made the play for him. And you know, that makes a quarterback trust you even more, right? Okay. Well, I, I would say maybe a, a triumvirate here of Marvin Jones, Jamal Agnew and LaVisca uh, at, at maximum too. Cause I mean, other than that, that week where LaVisca was only targeted like twice. Remember he had that one giant catch. What game was that? Titans. Titans yeah. So, you know, LaVisca against the Titans. We were like, why the hell was he basically absent from the game plan? His uh, LaVisca's brother also goes to the University of Colorado, which is where LaVisca was attending until he was drafted a couple years ago. And he's he's a receiver for the team. Uh, and he and I uh, just started following each other on Instagram. And he was he was upset, man, about LaVisca not being part of the game plan that week. Then he challenged me to one on one basketball with uh, financial stakes and uh, knowing knowing his brother uh, I, I kindly declined as a in fear of getting my ass kicked <laughs> that, that, that said LaVisca has I mean obviously reemerged as as a you know a significant part of our game plan I would still say it's LaVisca and Marvin at the moment but I would be very curious to see if Jamal Agnew can be worked in as a as a primary threat in the receiving game in the weeks to come. Yeah, me too. I just think LaVisca's made, you know, a few mistakes this year, and we haven't seen Agnew really mess up yet, and that's why we got to love Agnew. But we've seen some drops from LaVisca, some bad plays, man. He hasn't been able to get open. And, you know, we had high expectations for him, so it kind of makes sense that, you know, we get we get down on him a little bit and give Agnew a lot of credit. But I, I I'm, I'm going to – go with LaVisca getting the ball a lot still going forward this season. I don't think Urban will get away from that. He will still be the screen guy. They're still going to look for him. He, I mean, he made that catch at the end and got down perfectly in time for us to win the game. So, you know, his ceiling's pretty high, and he's still going to become a pretty good player. Now we have to move on to kicking. This is the most bittersweet week in Jaguars kicking history. Because at the same time that newcomer Matthew Wright, who had been kicking with us for for a few weeks here, was able to hit two 50-plus yarders within the final four minutes, which apparently is an NFL record. That includes not only the game winner, but probably the more impressive kick before that. We also had to say goodbye to Josh Lambeau, who the Jaguars released and who really just hasn't been able to come back from injury a year ago. So... Thoughts on right first and then Lambo. What about that kick <laughs> that was that was out? Nope. 
<laughs> I mean, the Dolphins players thought he missed. Kevin Harlan, our, the famous play-by-play announcer who does all kinds of sports, he definitely thought he missed. I thought he missed. I almost turned away because I was like, what the hell is that? And then you just see, it must have been God. God must have been in London that day because it looked like that ball was not going to go and it just curves left somehow and just falls right inside the upright. I couldn't believe my eyes, to be honest with you. You could see Urban. He was stressing. You know, when we were driving, we went down the fourth down, fourth down and one. James Robinson gets the carry and we turn it over on downs. Do you think that was because Urban didn't trust Matthew Wright to make that kick? Or was it more about just keeping the offense on the field quickly? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I, I, we definitely have kicking hesitancy. And the thing that scares me with Matthew Wright is his inability to hit it from distance, right? So it's the lack of that big leg. You know, maybe not all of the most successful kickers in the NFL, but damn well a good number of them are good at distance. I mean, how often do you have someone who's prolific as a kicker in the NFL who the team says, oh, you know, he's great, anything under 48 yards, but oh, if you ask him for a, a clutch 50-yarder, we're not going to trust him. No, man, they're... They're, they're behind those guys, a lot of them all the way up to like 68 yards or whatever. So that's scary. And, and I mean, that really limits your your field, right? Like if, if your kicker is really only guaranteed under 50, you start to do a lot more, a lot riskier or maybe even more conservative in terms of punting plays whenever you get into that situation. With Matthew Wright, I could see this game as a narrative of him building confidence with each kick. I mean, the kick he made in the first half, which were our first points on the board, that kick was the first kick we had hit all season. And if kicking is largely a psychological game about confidence and the lack thereof, then you got to know that was pretty monumental in not just Matthew Wright, but the entire team, even considering kicking as an option for the rest of the game. And nor will you be convinced of it immediately afterwards either because we just haven't been hitting much of anything and that often included extra points later on in the game the second to last kick the one that was nope that was out and then curved back in and barely sank in I mean to me that was (laughs) that was not very reassuring either but it must have been just enough to get (laughs) to get Matthew over the bar (laughs) pun intended for that last one yeah definitely and the first thing I thought about was I was like, does this guy have the leg? Just like you were saying, because if you look back to a week prior against Tennessee, uh, he trots on for a 53 yarder, which a 53 yarder is what his game winner was. And he left that one short off the crossbar against Tennessee. And this 53 yarder just dead on. I think it would have gone from 56 to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Right down the middle. <laughs> they, they, Kevin Harlan didn't even realize it was a pun. What an amazing thing to say! Right down the middle, <laughs> Jesus! Realize your puns, man. Oh man, uh, Kevin Harlan's got got to be better. You got to be better than that, Kevin. Come on. I think the best moment. This will tie into our Lambo conversation, but you know we saw Josh Lambo on the side, like clips of him on the sideline after he made the kick, before he, he was about to go, you know, attempt the field goal. Just really. I don't know what he was saying to him, probably comforting him, you know, 
getting them ready for it. And he was just very supportive about the whole thing. He was very supportive after Matthew Wright made it. And he knew damn well that after that field goal went in, he was getting, you know, the boot. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to do that one. But yeah, Josh Lambeau, man, what a guy. We're really going to miss him. I'm really going to miss him. He was one of my favorite Jaguars for sure. Him and Calais had their little thing too. Going to miss that. For now, we're rolling with Matthew Wright. Let's just hope the the dude keeps it up, though, right? Right. Right. I don't know if I've actually heard people talk about this on on covering this game so far about the steps forward at kicker because right now we're in euphoria. I mean, he hit he hit essentially he hit two game winners in one game, right? Yeah. And to the extent that we released Lambo, and maybe that's unsalvageable. You know, maybe the mind games are too much. Maybe I heard the the down by the bank show were were postulating. They were saying that it might be issues with the coaching staff. I mean, hasn't Urban Meyer been standing next to him while he kicks in practice and all kinds of uncouth or unconventional tactics? But to see Lambeau go is is gut-wrenching for me. And it's a little bit different than a lot of these other players. You mentioned Calais, you know, all these other uh, players that were, you know, close to our hearts throughout the years. Most of them left because of some money issue, cap space. You know, maybe they didn't feel they were being respected by the terms that the Jaguars were, were holding on to them. Whatever. For Lambo, we just we released the guy. And I also can't help but see some parallels between Lambo's story, which includes, you know, time at uh, FC Dallas, you know, Dallas till we die here. And you know, Chargers pick him up. He's, a, he's all right with them, but loses confidence and to the extent that they they wave him essentially right, and then we picked him up mid twenty seven or early twenty seventeen season. I can't help but look and see some parallels here with Matthew Wright's story and the whole thing about him being a what is it like a software engineer as of recently. But these kickers, man, what is it? Is it just you just have like three or four years of just feeling good about yourself and making kicks, and then you might risk sliding into oblivion again? I mean. Who's to say that Matthew Wright's going to stick around? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee. The, the kicking carousel is actually kind of crazy. We, I see it everywhere, man. We saw Dan Bailey. He was money with Dallas. <laughs> then he went to Minnesota, and now he doesn't have a job. You know, Jason Myers from here, now playing well in Seattle. Uh, Randy Bullock, who is one of the – you know, my friend's a Bengals fan. He just despised the guy man just was missing just chip shots and now in tennessee that guy can't miss you know you just never know you get you get streaky and when that streak stops man nfl teams will not hesitate to let you go and find someone that will make the kicks all right one more commercial break then we'll be back you're listening to the drunken jaguar We never we haven't talked about the defense, and we wouldn't have won this game if we don't stand up on fourth down. Fourth down, Miami can go for a first down, try to get a little closer so they can get into field goal range. Brian Flores rolls the dice, and I'm like, oh my God, I wish you would just punt it. Please just punt it. We can't stop a fourth and one. And the defense stands up and gets us in great field position. And we, I mean, if they punt, that could go into overtime. If they get that, we probably lose the game. Just a huge play, huge play. I don't think it's talked about enough. <laughs> nice. Um, well, that's that is good to hear. I appreciate you bringing that up. We haven't really talked much about defense today. When does Miles Jack get back? I I think he should be good to go, isn't he? For the next game. Nice uh, benefits of a of a bye week, I guess. And then the guy with our sole interception for the day, and I guess our turnover ratio is pretty neutral, right? Didn't we like lose a fumble and then pick it off? Yep, exactly. 
we have Nevin Lawson picking it off. And I, man, maybe I'm just ignorant, but I'm like, uh, wait, what? Lawson? Wait, who? Wait, what? <laughs> and the announcers are like, seasoned veteran. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was on the Raiders most recently. Hey, man, where, wherever it comes from, as long as we get those turnovers. Yep, that was big. Uh, one more play that we have to talk about. I want to get your opinion on it. I'm trying to figure out when in the game it happened. Looks like right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is 640 left in the fourth quarter. Miami's punting on fourth and six, and they're up three points on the Jaguars. This is the drive that we go tie the game on that little curveball. Miami punts it, and Jamal Agnew might have got a finger on the punt return. And Miami recovers in the end zone thinking they scored a touchdown. And Jamal Agnew saying, I didn't touch the ball. And we're watching the replay. Kevin Harlan's watching it. They're bringing in Gene Steratore and asking him if he touched it. I don't know if he touched it. Did his finger move? Did the ball change direction? What did you think? Because I thought, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. No, Jamal. You made your first mistake. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't even know what to, to think of these. Because every time these muff punts are happening or the near muffs are happening, I'm I'm just hearing new rules I was never aware of. In my 34 years of watching American football, I have no f-ing clue what's going on here. The it happened with the 49ers too on Sunday Night Football with Brandon Ayuk. He he muffed a punt and uh, and then like was able to run back and recover the ball. He even kicked it into the end zone, grabs the ball, and then he's down in the end zone and he already knows the rules and he's like touchback. I'm like. Bitch, that's no touchback. That's a fucking safety. What do you mean touchback? You fucking kick the ball in the end zone. You go, you go back and grab it, and and it's and it's a touchback. You know, as if as if everyone know, as if duh. You know, we know it's all a touchback. And here with Jamal Agnew, I mean, what was the the final observation was that it appeared that the spin of the ball, it appeared that the spin of the ball didn't change. That would be one of the main points of evidence for the referees to to see in the replay that his finger or fingers had actually touched the ball. But that's kind of bullshit because you can still barely touch the ball and actually not maybe affect the spin a little bit, but not in a way that would be like super visible and immediately obvious to someone watching the replay. So I don't know. And I like the <laughs> the comment that the second he puts his hands up, he's like admitting guilt almost. <laughs> almost, right? Or that's, so I'm looking at, when I was watching it live, I was like, is he admitting guilt? Or is he saying, no, 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 no. I did not touch that. I swear I did not touch that. It was one or the other. And it kind of seemed like both at the same time. I was like, oh, shit, he touched it. Shit. No, he put his hands up because he didn't touch it. Oh, shit. I don't know if he did touch it or not. So... Luckily, they called it a touchback on the field because if they called it a touchdown for Miami, which it would have been because it was a live ball, the game was over and they were not going to overturn that. Yeah, in a way, uh, I'm actually kind of happy that they called it a touchback on the field because if if you're going by some basic standard and in the heat of the moment, right, it's it's very hard to see these things. But I'm guessing the referee just didn't see didn't see the ball's spin or direction change in a way that would normally have happened with contact. So usually, like in most cases, yeah, that's a sign that the ball was not touched, even if it may have been slightly graced. <laughs> Is that what would you say? Gla- glazed? Graced? Grazed? Grazed, one of these? I don't know. No, you're totally correct, though, because I'm the ref was behind the play, so I'm sure 
he wasn't looking to, he was, probably wasn't sure if he touched the ball or not, but he was like, well, the ball didn't change direction or, you know, slow down or anything. So let's just call this a touchback. Yeah, no, it's definitely a tough call on the spot. And it, it just, it does feel like the call that, it feels like the hard, good call to make, right? It feels like, you know, waiting to call Miles Jack down on the fumble recovery against New England in 20, I guess, 2018, technically. It, it feels like that would be a really hard call to make. You got to negate what you thought was obvious and think about it long and hard and not make any, not whistle them down. And in, in this case, uh, similar, similar kind of thing. It actually seems the harder call would be like, wait a second, ball didn't change direction at all. He actually probably didn't touch it, even though he got super close to it. I'm going to call it a touchback here. Even if, even if that may not have happened at the molecular level. Yeah, it was awfully close. I still don't know if he touched it or not. You know, they, they got to ask later in the season. Like, did you touch that ball? I need an honest chance because he would know, right? You would think he would know if it touched, like, even, like, his fingertip. I mean, there were electrons from Jamal's glove mingling with electrons from the football. So it depends on how you define touch. Yeah, crazy. Like I said, like, things went our way, too. So a lot of... A lot of things did go our way, but that's what happens, right? Bad things happen to bad teams. And, you know, when you win games, good things have to happen. And luck has to fall your way as well. That's why I'm saying this game, I, I don't view it as like a, a fluke. And, nor do I, I'm not really celebrating it as that either, right? It just feels like a nice win. I mean, sure, yeah. Like you're saying the their their secondary was pretty in, was pretty hurt. Sure, like, you know, we, we definitely hit two insanely clutch field goals that, that I don't think any of us would have bet money on, on actually making. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could have gone our way, but you can say the same thing about the Dolphins in a lot of cases. You also say the same thing about several of the games, including the Bengals, <laughs> comes to mind, that didn't go our way this season. So, you know, about damn time. Right down the middle. Agreed, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Drunken Jaguar this is an SB Nation and Big Cat Country podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Junkin Dragwire. I am legitimately excited to watch the Seahawks Jaguars game, and hopefully, we'll do it in person. I'd love to do so. We finally got an afternoon game, so you'll be up in time. Yes, that is very accurate. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, until then, peace out and go Jags. Yeah, go Jaguars. watching plays from from the Dolphins game because you'll have some like massive Jags play like the Marvin Jones touchdown or some Matthew Wright field goal or whatever and then they'll cut to the fans in the stadium who don't give a shit about who's playing they're just there to like watch football and so like eight people wearing Patriots jerseys are like <laughs> clapping <laughs> for like a Marvin Jones touchdown over. Yeah, that was nice so funny. yeah the but whoever they were dressed up as like a dolphin and a jaguar, I was f- dying at that. Oh, that's insane.
Well, and the the streaker at the beginning of the game, who they the the players were giving hugs. Yeah, was that a is that a f-ing English thing over there? Like, what the f- is going on, man? You'd get tackled here if you did that. Shit. <laughs>